Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast here with a quick take on what just happened between the federal government and North Carolina in the controversial debate over that state's new law regulating bathroom access. I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. I'm Carrie Johnson, the justice correspondent. And I'm Ron Elving, editor-correspondent. Okay, so this morning, North Carolina announced they were suing the federal government over that law. And then this afternoon, the federal government said, you're suing us? No, we're suing you. Here's Attorney General Loretta Lynch. None of us can stand by when a state enters the business of legislating identity and insists that a person pretend to be something or someone that they are not or invents a problem that does not exist as a pretext for discrimination and harassment. And let me speak now directly to the people of the great state, the beautiful state, my home state of North Carolina. You have been told that this law protects vulnerable populations from harm, but that is just not the case. Instead, what this law does is inflict further indignity on a population that has already suffered far more than its fair share. So for people who haven't been following the story, the state of North Carolina recently passed a law that, among other things, requires people in public buildings and schools to use the restroom corresponding to their sex at birth. And there's been a lot of controversy over that. So today, the federal government made this a civil rights case. What exactly does that mean to claim that this violates the civil rights of people in North Carolina? Well, the Justice Department cites several longstanding civil rights laws on the books, starting with the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Title VII of that law borrows sex discrimination at work. And the Justice Department also cited an education law that dates back to 1972, in which you're not supposed to discriminate against people in an educational setting on the basis of sex. The issue here is that uh, the Justice Department is now saying that transgender people are protected under those longstanding sex discrimination laws. They've suffered too long and they shouldn't have to suffer in North Carolina or anywhere else. Now, there's a long history of the U.S. Justice Department protecting the civil rights of people in states. It's a history that's resonant, Scott, because remember, this Attorney General, Loretta Lynch, who grew up in North Carolina, as we heard, and grew up in a state where uh, you could only use certain water fountains and only uh, use certain bathrooms, today cast this in terms of the arc of justice and said, in essence, this fight, this LGBT fight, is a continuation of the struggle that has been going on in the South for a long time. The Justice Department needs to step in here and protect these people's rights. Ron Alving, we just heard Loretta Lynch say that what this law does is inflict further indignity on a population that has already suffered far more than its fair share. This is an issue that we've heard a lot about in various state houses and on the campaign trail over the last few months, haven't we? Yes. The transgender issue has become the latest frontier, if you will, in the LGBTQ community and also in the discussion of what it means to have civil rights in the United States. And this is a very long historical process that's almost as old as the republic itself, but which has obviously accelerated in recent years. I'm most aware in this particular case of the political fallout of 2004 over marriage between uh, two people of the same sex. Uh, There was a tremendous drive that year by conservatives. 2004 being the year that the Massachusetts State Supreme Court uh, made gay marriage legal in Massachusetts. Yes, in Massachusetts. And the Republican Party and many conservatives pounced on that and 
put on the ballot in 2004 in many states a measure of one kind or another prohibiting that. Sometimes a law, sometimes a constitutional amendment. Sometimes when they had a law, they put it in as a constitutional amendment to bring out the voters who were incensed about that and make sure that they got out to vote in 2004. Just 12 years later, where we are today, we have moved past that issue. Uh, The allowance of people marrying in same sex has become the law in all 50 states because of the Supreme Court decision. And the attitude of the public in general has changed quite radically so that that now gets a clear majority of Americans' support. So we have seen a great deal of change in just the last dozen years in this general uh, sphere. So let's go back to first thing this morning in the initial suit that the state filed against the the federal government. Uh, Carrie, what did Governor McCrory say about this? The governor said, in essence, Scott, that the Justice Department, the U.S. Justice Department, was engaging in a massive overreach, that it was trying to uh, inflict its interpretation of civil rights laws on this state in a way that it had no power to do. And in fact, the governor said, listen, if you want to create a new class of protected people under the civil rights laws, The Obama administration shouldn't be the one to do that. Congress should be the ones to do that. Now, right now, the Obama administration is bypassing Congress by attempting to rewrite the law and set basic restroom policies, locker room policies, and even shower policies for public and private employers across the country, not just North Carolina. So, Carrie, where did this all begin? This has been coming down the pike for some time. It may have burst into the national debate over the last few days, but this has been building. In December 2014, then-Attorney General Eric Holder sent a memo to all the federal prosecutors in the entire country saying, under the Justice Department's view, uh, transgender people were protected under uh, the civil rights laws and specifically the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Fast forward some time, North Carolina passed this law, and the Justice Department last week uh, sent letters to the North Carolina governor and to education officials in the state saying, this will not stand. If you don't knock it off, Uh, We are going to hold the threat of yanking federal education dollars from the state of North Carolina. That's a multi-billion dollar issue. And DOJ gave North Carolina a few days to respond. And today, the state did respond with a big fat lawsuit against the federal government. So the state responds with a lawsuit. The federal government files a separate lawsuit. What happens next? What happens next is that the appeals court that ultimately may decide this case has been populated over the last seven years by a lot of judges appointed by President Obama. And just two weeks ago, this appeals court, the Fourth Circuit Appeals Court, ruled on behalf of a transgender student, allowing that student's uh, discrimination case against a high school to proceed. So, Ron Elving, while these memos and threats have been going back and forth and well, uh, various uh, state houses have debated this issue. This has played out on the presidential campaign as well. That's right. And Ted Cruz, for example, the uh, one of the last uh, Republican candidates to drop out, uh, had made something of an issue of it and uh, tried to rally Republican social conservatives around it in the way that same sex marriage had previously been an effective way to rally those voters. But of course, he has not prevailed in this process. Donald Trump, the rather heterodox. Uh, social 
personage in the Republican uh, campaign. We don't really know what his views are on a number of things, except that they seem to be a good deal uh, more liberal than those of Ted Cruz and most of the other Republican candidates, has basically said he doesn't have a big objection to letting transgender people choose which bathroom they feel comfortable in as opposed to what's on their birth certificate. So that's going to be another cause for rift between Donald Trump and some social conservatives in the Republican Party. Okay, and just a quick note, two primary votes Tuesday night, West Virginia and Nebraska. Not as much drama this week, so we'll not have a Wednesday morning episode. But Ron, what do we expect to happen in these two states? We expect Donald Trump to win because there really is no opposition to him anymore. So there's not a lot of drama on the Republican side. On the Democratic side, the vote is only happening in West Virginia. They've already settled their Nebraska business. So it's really only a West Virginia question. 29 delegates at stake, pledged delegates. They'll be divided proportionally, as the Democrats always do. And then there will be eight superdelegates. We expect Bernie Sanders to have more votes. So we expect him to get most of that 29 proportional uh, division of the pledged delegates. The superdelegates will probably, as usual, prefer Hillary Clinton. So in the end, it won't move the numbers very much, but it may move them a little bit towards Bernie Sanders. It will certainly not really close the gap between him and Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton got a lot of attention for saying that she wanted to put coal out of business. That certainly does not play well with West Virginia voters. She has not done well in coal country because of that remark and many other things, her position on guns, her position on many things. Well, that's a wrap, and we'll have more political coverage online at nprpolitics.org as usual. And of course, listen on your local public radio station or email the show at nprpolitics at npr.org. I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. I'm Carrie Johnson, the justice correspondent. And Ron Elving, editor correspondent. Thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. 